As you can see on the screen, the title of our lesson is The Doctrines of Gnosticism. Now the question is, what does that mean? What is the doctrines or what are the doctrines of Gnosticism and why does it matter? As an introductory text, I want to invite you to a passage found in the book of Jude. And Jude only has one chapter, but beginning in verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. In this lesson today, I want to examine the doctrines of Gnosticism as touted in the popular media. And you might remember these phrases or know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Da Vinci Code and also the doctrine or the gospel of Judas and others. And we want to do this so that we might all understand what Gnosticism was and how the New Testament deals with those doctrines and why popular culture gets it wrong. Well, first of all, about the text before us. This passage, along with several others in the New Testament, allude to the doctrines and practices of a religion today that is commonly referred to as Gnosticism. But what is it? And what's the word actually even mean? The word Gnosticism comes from a Greek word, gnosis, and it literally means knowledge. Now, Gnostics were concerned with knowledge because they believed that salvation was predicated upon obtaining special enlightenment for or through their mysteries. Now, Gnosticism did not originate with Christianity. In fact, it had its origins in paganism and it was primarily pantheistic, meaning many gods. You know, paganism was pantheistic because they observed or recognized many different or multiple gods. On the flip side, for example, a religion that is monotheistic is a religion that recognizes only one god. And that's all of us today. Christians, we recognize one god. So, Gnosticism was pantheistic, meaning many gods, but there's so much more, and I'll get back to that in just a little bit. As Christianity, though, expanded into the Gentile world, Gnostics were quick to fuse the two religions together. Added to that was modern-day philosophy. And the idea was this. They emphasized personal or spiritual knowledge over orthodox or traditional teachings. I want to notice a, a definition, a very long, wordy definition or description of Gnosticism. And we're not going to read the whole thing because it is very, very wordy. I want to highlight a couple of things, though. To understand what Gnosticism is, I want to just uh, say this as a general principle of this definition. It is a collective name, Gnosticism is, for a large number of greatly varying pantheistic, idealistic sects. Borrowing the phraseology and some of the tenets of the chief religions of the day 
and especially of Christianity, held matter to be a deterioration of spirit and the whole universe a deprivation of the deity. Now, with philosophy added to all of this, these things were fused together in what is known as or referred to as Gnosticism. Now, I got to say, in the past, in the past, perhaps the study of the subject of Gnosticism would be extremely dry. And I got to tell you, this is a challenge for me. Because we're going to talk about something that is and can be very dry. I don't want it to be boring. I don't want it to be dry. But also on the very same subject, we look at this idea and we want it to be interesting to understand what it is and really how some of these beliefs have trickled over into our society. For example, there are people, for example, that perhaps believe certain things that were taught under the religion of Gnosticism that wouldn't consider themselves to be Gnostic. But these are things that have, and theories that have drifted over. Well, I'll tell you, a dry subject like this was revived when the recently released ancient documents and popular works of fiction became in our society, one of which is the Da Vinci Code. Now, the Da Vinci Code is a popular work that presumes certain Gnostic teachings to be true. Now, and bases a fictional story upon these things. In fact, you also remember something else. You remember this. The Gospel of Judas. Have you heard of that? The Gospel of Judas. Why is it important? Why do we have to pay attention to that? And why does it matter? Why does it matter today that we notice what the Gospel of Judas actually was and why it's wrong? Or the Da Vinci Code or Gnosticism. Why is it important? I'll tell you why. It's because of people's responses to varying interpretations of things or varying accounts of things and they conflict each other, so people do one of two things. Number one, people say sometimes, well, there's all kinds of varying opinions. So just pick the one you want, and that's good enough. And everything is okay because there's all different opinions. Just choose the one that you want. That's number one. Number two, people say, because there's a conflict... And there's a, a division or a conflict between two things like the word of God and things like the gospel of Judas and other Gnostic gospels that people say, you know what? You can't know what's right. Nothing is reliable. Throw it all out. You can't know what's true. You know, I think that that kind of philosophy trickles over to people today. Years and years ago, there was a softball coach that I knew, and I was talking to him about uh, church, and he said, you know, I, I'm a, I believe in God, but I am against organized religion. And I said, why is that? He said, because there's so many differing opinions, it's impossible to know what's right. Well, I know that there's various opinions about a lot of things, but when you talk about the Word of God and you talk about what God wants, there's only one standard. So that's what we want to emphasize. We want to notice what these things were in Gnosticism. Number one, Gnosticism, and I told you we'd get back to this, Gnosticism is pantheism. Now, that's a fancy word. One of the definitions of pantheism, and we're going to notice this from a twofold perspective. One of the definitions of this 
is a doctrine that identifies God with the universe. Sound familiar? It identifies God with the universe or regards the universe as a manifestation of God. In other words, God is not a person. God is not someone that can be reached. You know, Brother Wade prayed to God on our behalf. We prayed together. We all said amen in agreement with that prayer. Talking about reaching God specifically. Brother Darren prayed to God specifically because you know why? God can be reached. He is our Heavenly Father. And when the Bible talks about Abba, Father, it refers to God Himself, but the relationship that we also have with Him. Wouldn't it be awful if you could not reach the Creator and have a relationship with Him? You know, Albert Einstein... One of the most brilliant men that ever lived. You know what he said? He didn't buy into evolution, by the way. Never did. What Einstein said is, the idea of creation or the world or the universe that exists was the result of cause and effect. So, what we live in is the effect. And if there's the effect, there has to have a cause. And if there has to have a cause, it's got to be God. It's got to be a higher power. Albert Einstein raised in a home of Judaism believed in the God of Judaism at one point in time and said there had to be a God. No problem at all. You know what happened to Albert Einstein? As brilliant as he was, I'll tell you what happened. He started looking out at all the things that happen in the world. And he couldn't put together the idea in his mind that if God was so good and God was so great then why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? Albert Einstein couldn't wrap his brilliant mind around that. So you know what he said? He said this, Oh, there's still a God, but he cannot be reached. He cannot be touched. We don't really have a relationship with him. It is just a cosmic mind that spoke everything into existence. No, God can be reached. Now, what about this right here? What about the universe? We give you two examples, okay? When I had cancer, you know what people said to me that I'd come in contact with? They would say this all the time. You're in my prayers. People I did business with, people that I associated with, members of the Lord's church, Christians would say, I'm praying for you. You're in my prayers. Then there were other people that said this. I'll keep a good thought out for you. You know why? It's the principle just like this, just like Gnosticism. If I have enough good thoughts going on about me in the universe and I turn it over to the universe, then guess what? Good will happen. That's not the God that we serve. But understand this. It is pantheistic in nature. Gnosticism is. First perspective is that it regards the universe as the manifestation of God. And we can't reach him personally. But number two. It's a worship that admits or tolerates all gods plurally. And by the way, interesting about this. Gnosticism teaches that there are multiple gods, small g, multiple gods in existence, and they are called eons. Now, what is that? These gods in these eons formed a hierarchy of deities, and from that, all things happened. 
The higher order of deities were thought of to be spiritual and the lower were thought of to be physical. Isn't it just easier to open up the word of God and say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and leave it at that? Wouldn't it be easier instead of having a concept or believing in a concept that there's a hierarchy of gods that created everything and all the good stuff was paid for by the or created by the spiritual and all the bad things were created by the physical? It's the doctrines of Gnosticism in that. Now, here's the problem, too. The spiritual, they believed, is good and the physical is inherently evil. That distinction ultimately affected the practices of those who believed in Gnosticism. But the Bible teaches there's only one God. Let me give you some Bible for that. Several passages of Scripture. First, we begin in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, where the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's it right there. How many? Just one. What else? Let's go to the New Testament in John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Here's another passage, the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 5 and 6. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, or there are many gods and many lords, yet for us... There's one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So there is one God. One final passage, though, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul said this. He said, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So, Gnosticism is pantheism, which believes that God is nothing more than the manifestation of the universe and the forces around us, and you can't contact Him directly at all. Number two, it is the recognition of multiple eons or multiple gods. Therefore, it is not one God that we serve, but all of these others are in force. The Word of God says, though, there's only one God. Number two, another reason why Gnosticism is false teaching and false doctrine is because Gnosticism denies the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. You know, part of the teaching of Gnosticism is that Jesus Christ was a created being. And by the way, there are religious affiliations today that believe that Jesus was created. Jesus was not created. In fact, the Bible says that in the beginning, Jesus was there. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, when it says, let us make man in our image, that means this, when God created everything, he also did so at the very same time with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And they were all there at the very beginning. In other words, all things were created by them. We have one God that we serve, but Jesus Christ was not created. He was there in the beginning. Somebody asked me one time, well, when was what happened before the beginning? Let's not get too smart. It doesn't matter. 
in the beginning. That's it. In the beginning. That means that whatever happened before the beginning, I don't know what happened before Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. I don't care. All I know is Jesus has always existed. He was not created. But the doctrine of Gnosticism denied the deity of Jesus Christ and also at the same time the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now, some Gnostics even believe that Jesus Christ came and to set man on the path of enlightenment. And I'll tell you something. I appreciate the songs and some of the songs we sung this morning. Talking about Jesus Christ being risen. Talking about the things that Jesus Christ has done. I'm so grateful for that. I know you're grateful for that. These are wonderful words of praise and honor to the Lord for that. Okay? Gnosticism didn't believe in any of that. They believed that Jesus was really a person created, and he came to this earth to put man on a path of enlightenment. And that's why he came. Now, the enlightenment was this, by the way. To put man on a different path that was separate and, and separate and different from the God of the Old Testament. And that's why Jesus came. And by the way, this is affirmed in the Da Vinci Code. It is stated, and I will read in, the, in that book, that it wasn't until the time of Constantine that Jesus Christ was set forth as divine. We know that to be false. We know that not to be true. Gnostics also denied the humanity of Jesus Christ. But the Bible teaches the divinity of Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 1 would be a scathing rebuke of Gnosticism. Notice this right here. Jesus was both divine and human. Incidentally, if Jesus were not human, he could not have been the sacrificial lamb to pay the price, the blood sacrifice, the price for the sins of the world. Not created in the beginning. I didn't make that up. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was God, meaning deity. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, meaning he was fully human. This was a doctrine that the Gnostics would not have tolerated. Notice more though, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's Jesus Christ. Remember this too. In order for Jesus Christ fulfilling prophecy, he had to be the son of God. And he also had to be the son of David. Now, that shows the fleshly lineage of Jesus Christ. And he was the only one, by the way, that could have been the seed of David and also be the son of God. The only one. Now, there were many that could be fall into the category of the seed of David or the son of David. But nobody else could be the son of David and also be the son of God. 
It's the idea of this. It's the same thing as saying Jesus is the son of God, meaning fully divine, and son of man, meaning fully human. That was our Messiah. And in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Another passage in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is divine. He is also human. Again, son of man. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, interesting. This is one test of fellowship. One test of fellowship. Let me read that again. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. This is one test of fellowship. Not all. One. If a person rejects that Jesus Christ came in the flesh... He's not of God. If a person teaches against that, guess what? It's the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist. Jesus did come in the flesh. Jesus Christ was and is deity. Here's another one. Gnosticism stresses knowledge as the path to salvation. Now, what kind of knowledge are we talking about? By the way, you have to have knowledge. I have to have knowledge. Any time that you study something and learn something, you gain knowledge. When we pray to God, we ask God for wisdom. He gives it liberally, but we have to study for knowledge. So there's nothing wrong with knowledge. It's not what I'm saying. What Gnosticism taught, though, is it stressed knowledge as a path to salvation. What kind of knowledge? Here it is. Gnosticism believed that there was one special secret knowledge... That could lead a person to salvation. This knowledge consisted of their pantheism that we already noticed. And also the condemnation of the physical. Some Gnostics held that there was no such thing as sin. Since all flesh is sinful. And the only sin is ignorance of their special knowledge. Now, the Bible teaches that knowledge isn't special. Why would you teach a, a doctrine that says knowledge is special and only a few can get it? If Jesus died for the sins of the world, and he did, and those things are revealed to us in the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, why would only a select few understand the specific special knowledge that a person had to know to be saved? In fact, you know, the Bible teaches against that. You know, I love this. In the book of 1 John, the word know. Now, there's varying definitions about the word know in, in the English language. But this word comes from a Greek word that is found 26 times in the book of 1 John. And it means to know for certain. It means to know in the here and now. It means to know right now for certain. 26 times that is found. Let's notice a few of those passages. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him. I think that's 
pretty encouraging, don't you? Now by this we know, that's to know for certain, that we know him, that means have a relationship with. There's a lot of folks that would love to have a relationship with God. Notice what John said. By this you know for certain that you have a relationship with him if you do what? If you keep his commandments. Anybody can understand that. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Doesn't sound like special knowledge to me. Sounds like something we can all understand. And that is the no lie is of the truth. Here's another passage. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Have to make this point though, okay? This does not mean by audacity or irreverence or it doesn't mean that because we feel as though we have earned it, we have salvation. That's not what that means. And it doesn't mean once saved, always saved. It doesn't mean that either. And it doesn't mean that a person cannot fall from grace. It doesn't mean that either. What it's saying is we can have an assurance that we have eternal life and continue in that. And we've already noticed John said if you keep his commandments. Doesn't sound like special. Sounds like anybody can understand it. Sounds like great stuff to me. 1 Timothy 6 and 20 though. Paul said, O Timothy, guard what is committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Sometimes, especially in institutions of higher learning, there's a lot of people that want to explain away the basic foundation of Christianity and explain away what the Word of God says and things that we can easily understand and explain it away all based upon what? That which is falsely called knowledge. In other words, a greater enlightenment. You know, there's another point here I want to make, and I want to be very brief about this one because we need to get to the Da Vinci Code. So I want to talk about this one very briefly, and that is that Gnosticism draws a false distinction between the physical and the spiritual. Now, we have seen the distinction made in their doctrine regarding how the physical things were created and so forth. But they continued such distinctions on a practical level in two schools of thought. Number one, there were the ascetics. And the ascetics practiced thorough denial of the physical body. They believed that to overcome sinfulness of the physical state, you had to refuse yourself of any pleasure whatsoever. In other words, the physical is corrupt and it's rotten, so the only way to have a, a, a stronghold over that is to deny every bit of things in life that are pleasing to the physical. And I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about anything, beating the body up. On the other hand, there were the Ananomians, and they believed that since the flesh was sinful and the spirit was holy, that nothing could be done in the flesh to corrupt the spirit. So you know what they said? Do anything you want. Indulge in everything. Doesn't really matter. This said, deny yourself of all physical enjoyment. This said, it doesn't really make any difference. Do whatever you want to. Because there's nothing really you can do. And it doesn't really matter. 
and give in and indulge in all sorts of fleshly delights and carnal appetites. But you know, folks, really briefly, the Bible refutes both of these. The former is refuted in Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23, and the latter is, refu is refuted in 1 John, 2 Peter, and also Jude. All right, what about this? What about the Da Vinci Code, the Gospel of Judas, and all the others. First of all, understand the Da Vinci Code is nothing more than a work of fiction. It is not true. The premise, by the way, I haven't seen the movie. These are excerpts from the book. I haven't seen the movie, but there is a movie. Maybe you've seen the movie. I don't even know what the movie says, but this is what the book says. The major premise of the book was this. That Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene... And they had children. Now you know that violates everything we read about in the word of God. But interestingly in the Da Vinci Code in the book. These children quote unquote were pres are preserved today by a secret society known as the Priory of Sion. And by the way the Priory of Sion is a fraternal organization that was put together by a man by the name of Pierre Plantard in 1956. Do you know what he said? He said, at one point in time, he said that he had evidence, geological evidence, that he was a direct descendant of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you can Google it. I did it this morning. Don't do it now. Do it later on on your phone. I Googled it this morning, and it said exactly the point I'm going to make right now. It was an elaborate hoax that he recanted and admitted was a lie before he died in the year 2000. And he did it in front of a French court, this man Pierre Plantard. Now, here's the problem. He's dead. But many claim today... That this fraternal organization still exists. It is supported by Gnosticism. And in the book, The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown was the author. And he said, he went on record as saying that he believes all of this is true based upon a passage found in the Gnostic Gospel of Philip. Okay? I'm going to put on the screen the exact passage that has been written down as in part of the Gnostic Gospels, one of which is the Gospel of Philip. This is the actual passage. The companion of the Savior is Mary Magdalene. But Christ loved her more than all the disciples and used to kiss her often. The rest of the disciples were offended. They said to him, Why do you love her more than all of us? The Savior answered and said to them, Why do I not love you as I love her? That's false teaching, folks. That's a lie. These writings are not in the New Testament. They're not. It's one of those Gnostic texts that is not reliable, and we cannot use it as a reliable source of history. Let me give you another one. How about this? The Gospel of Thomas, a Gnostic Gospel. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas taught. And by the way, this is the proof of what I said, I don't know, about 15, 20 minutes ago. 
Okay? In this Gnostic gospel, it says this. This would be terrible. Why would you believe this? Jesus was not our redeemer. He was only a revealer. We sang again. We sang about Jesus being our redeemer. They believed that Jesus was not resurrected. In fact, they didn't care about the resurrection. What does the Bible say about that? If Jesus was not raised, we are of all men most miserable. It would be a terrible way to believe. And by the way, this taught that Christianity is all about self-discovery and self-revelation. Have you ever known somebody that's on some sort of a quest? Some sort of a quest for self-discovery? Self-revelation? Oh, I got it. People fall into that trap today, don't they? By the way, the message here is really anti-women. It really is. Because the Gnostics had an agenda. They didn't care about the, re the resurrection, as I've said. They only cared about the Lord's secret knowledge. Follow this now. His secret knowledge that he was imparting. And that message was for those who were smart enough to get it. And the only one smart enough to get it was a man. Come on. Anti-women. Gospel of Thomas. Let's go to another one. How about this one? How about the Gospel of Judas? Now, the Gospel of Judas and the rest of the Nag Hammadi documents goes along with the teachings of Gnosticism and not the Bible. But first of all, what is a Nag Hammadi document? They were a collection of Gnostic texts discovered near the upper Egyptian town of Nag Hammadi in the year 1945. And all of these documents, by the way, the Gospel of Judas and all the other Nag Hammadi documents, all they do is they don't support Christianity. They don't support what God wants. They support not Gnostic teachings. That's it. They don't fall in line with the Bible at all. Now, in the Gospel of Judas, are the Gnostic works claiming that Jesus entrusted to Judas special knowledge regarding his death? I heard somebody talking about this one time, and I don't know if they really understood what was actually supposedly described in the Gospel of Judas, but really the whole deal was, he was talking about the idea was, Judas really wasn't that bad of a guy. In fact, he was in there, he was in cahoots with the Lord, and the Lord uh, was in cahoots with him, and so forth. No, the Word of God says that Judas, by transgression, fell. The Bible says he was the betrayer. He sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. When it was done, the Bible says he hung himself, his bowels gushed out, and then it said he went to his own place. You know what that means? It means he wasn't saved. But the Gospel of Judas has all this other stuff. Once again, it goes along with Gnosticism, not the Bible. And also, by the way, Gnostic texts were dated... In the second half of the second century or later. Now common sense would tell us that cannot be reliable. The gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are reliable. They're reliable because they're in the inspired word of God. But they're also reliable because they were written close to the time that the events actually happened. All right. So you might be wondering where did these Gnostic texts come from and why do they exist? I think it's very simple. 
Anytime you have something that is valuable, there is bound to be a counterfeit. I'm not an expert on paintings, but you can go to some, I don't know, Rembrandt, Picasso. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know either one of those, their works. But some people know. But there are counterfeits that are cheap knockoffs, if you will, of those very same things. And anytime you have something that is extremely valuable and you want to bring in your own agenda, then the counterfeits come. And that's exactly what these Gnostic Gospels were. They were merely texts that supported a counterfeit gospel or counterfeit teaching. And they were said to be written by an apostle or a disciple for advancing their Gnostic views. And I'll tell you, if that's not the perfect definition of a heretic, I don't know what is. Because a heretic is somebody that does this. A heretic has knowledge of truth. But instead of obeying truth or teaching truth, they teach something that is erroneous on purpose or false, all for, the, all for the idea of drawing a party or a faction unto themselves. When they do that and make that choice, the Bible calls them a heretic. I'm going to tell you something. The Gnostic Gospels, the Gnostic texts are counterfeit. They are false. They are lies. So, in conclusion... The doctrines of Gnosticism are clearly non-Christian. They deny the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ. They are non-Christian in their religious practices too. Those who support these doctrines in modern day culture are intent upon destroying Christianity. But I'm going to tell you right now, they can't get it done. They cannot destroy Christianity. They can't destroy Christianity in your heart. You know what the truth is. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What does the Bible say about that? Because sometimes people say, well, what about these other books that they found or other writings that they found? What about them? Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who would trouble you and would want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So let me just say finally, we have the inspired written word of God. It's the original. If anything is ever taught, please get this, that violates the standard, the scripture, it's counterfeit every time. We don't have to go out and search after all the different beliefs in the world. Focus on the original like my father used to preach. Focus on the original. It automatically eliminates the counterfeits. And Gnosticism is false doctrine. It is counterfeit. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. 
If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.